Welcome everyone to today's first field guide session of spring 2023. And today we're going to discuss the fundamentals of clinical pastoral education, CPE. Let me just say a few words on behalf of the lab before we get started and then uh, we'll get underway. Uh, like I just mentioned before hitting the button, this is being recorded. You will get a link to that recording here in the next couple of days, uh, which we do that so that you don't have to worry about taking notes. If you miss a point, whatever, you can always go back and watch it whenever you like. Uh, when you get that recording in your email, there's a very brief survey. Please do take a minute or so to fill that out. Let us know what you think. That helps us plan uh, future events. And then finally, let me thank our sponsors for today's session. Uh, the E-Roads and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation has been uh, a supporter of the Field Guide series since it actually started. Uh, so we thank them, along with series sponsors, Bayan Islamic Graduate School, Boston College School of Theology and Ministry, Candler School of Theology at Emory University, Hartford International University for Religion and Peace and Union Theological Seminary. We're very grateful for the support of these institutions. Let me introduce our guests very briefly. I'll hand it over to them. We're joined today by Reverend Danielle Bahura, who is founder and director of Sankofa CPE, and Rabbi McCall Springer, manager of CPE at New York Presbyterian Hospital. They're longtime collaborators of the lab. I'm always happy when they're with us. So thank you both, and thank you all for being here. Danielle, let's turn to you first. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael, for this invitation. I'm very excited uh, for the opportunity to spend some time uh, with you all on, on today. I am, I am so excited about clinical pastoral education and the ways in which clinical pastoral education is this awesome opportunity uh, for people to take uh, this unique educational programming and delve into what I call uh, three important uh, questions. Number one, number one, who am I? Number two, what am I called to do? Number three, who specifically am I called to serve? These are the three basic questions that we find ourselves uh, grappling with when we think about clinical pastoral education. There are also some key objectives that we also want to highlight. That is the basis for CPE. Uh, these uh, objectives you will see uh, on this, uh, on my screen, this particular image, if you will, uh, in some sense highlight the particular fundamentals of clinical pastoral education. And this particularly speaks to one of the fundamentals of clinical pastoral education, specifically with ACPE, the standard for spiritual care and education. We'd say in some sense, a CPE helps persons begin to dive into first and foremost self-development and developmental awareness, or otherwise known as self-awareness. Number two, CPE helps us gain relational awareness and development. So not only am I asking questions like, who am I? And uh, what is my spiritual care identity? But I'm also grappling with, who am I in relationship to other people? What is my spiritual care identity and competency in relationship with other people. We also grapple with 
theoretical and theological integration. What ways does my theology impact who I am and who I'm called to serve in ministry? We also begin to wrestle with, again, as I mentioned earlier, what's our pastoral identity and functioning? What's our ministry development and management? Meaning, what are all of the spiritual care or ministry skills that I learned in the course of doing ministry? And last but not least, clinical pastoral education invites us to grapple with adult education, meaning this is an opportunity for us to gain new perspective on psychological theories and educational theories and theological theories or practices uh, of, of being. And so uh, in some sense, we say uh, clinical pastoral education uh, is this wonderful, unique uh, opportunity for us to become well-rounded in, in some sense uh, in, our, in, our, in our ministry, in, in, in some sense. I'll pause there before we jump into uh, further further questions, and, and uh, I'll pause for a moment. Thank you, Nicole. How about you? That was wonderful. I love that uh, diagram. What a, a nice visual. Hi, everybody. I'm Michal Springer, and I've been involved with CPE for about 30 years. Wow. I, I came to CPE in my final year of rabbinical school. I was sent to do CPE by Dr. Sam Klagsman, who was in charge of pastoral psychiatry at the Jewish Theological Seminary, where I was in rabbinical school. And um, Sam knew that I wanted to help people, and I had no idea what that meant. And he said, CPE is the way. So I followed him. There were very few Jews involved with CPE at that point. And I was shocked to discover that in order to help other people, I needed to learn quite a lot more about myself. CPE is an incredible educational model that understands the interconnection between the helper and the helpee. If you're like me, then you're starting out with a real focus on the patients, but we can't just go to the patients as if we're somehow blank slates. We're not. We come full of our own experiences, our own assumptions, our cultural background, our social economic, our social location, our religious identity, our racial identity, our cultural background. All of those pieces of ourselves come with us as we aim to help others. So we have to do very in-depth self-reflection and we need to be opened to be in dialogue about things that we might take for granted. So some of us might come from a culture where we interrupt people all the time and we never let there be any pause or any silence because that's how you show that you're engaged. And others of us may have a slower tempo, may speak more slowly, may have more room for silence, may feel rushed if someone cuts us off or even offended. And you can see how even in my 
changing up the way that I speak, some people will be more comfortable with one mode and some people may be more comfortable with another. That's just a tiny example of some of the things that we might learn in CPE. CPE is not just being out in the world in face-to-face -face with patients, although we are patients, families, staff, but then we come back for supervision. Mostly it's done in a group. And a group is an incredible way to learn here because all the different perspectives around the table, all the different members of the group share our backgrounds, our views, our beliefs, and we can challenge one another and support one another in a lot of different ways. And the educator knows how to work with the group to help people learn how to give constructive feedback, how to see what's happening so that we're all coming along together. And then a small portion of the time, you have one-on-one -on -one supervision with your educator. Some of the students love having one-on-one -on -one time with the educator. Some people, not their favorite part of the program. The wonderful thing about CPE is that there are many different aspects to the learning. There's the learning that takes place in the room with people that you're caring for. There's the learning in the seminars with your group. There's the learning in individual supervision. And there's the learning in your own spiritual life in relation to the divine as you come into an unfolding understanding of how the divine is present when people are suffering. There's nothing like being in the midst of profound suffering to make us really come to terms with what we believe and what we struggle with. And when we do that work, we are then equipped to be with others. Thank you very much for the call. Danielle, did you want to follow up at all before we turn to participant questions? Ah, there is uh, there is one particular dynamic that I that I want to highlight. Also, uh, in addition to what McCall highlighted, and uh, maybe it may maybe it may come up in further questions, but. A reoccurring theme that I've been seeing of late is uh, how do we shift people to understanding that big in CCE is challenge and confrontation. This is not your introduction to pastoral care class, or this is not your seminary spiritual care course. This uh, CCE is an educational environment that will challenge you, that will ask you to, to, to confront uh, your spiritual care growing interest, as well as confront how do you enhance your spiritual care uh, strength. And so really wanting people to, to, to hear that there are differences between your basic uh, spiritual care course or pastoral care course in seminary and uh, taking CPE. Thank you. I think that's a really important point. Um, and I tend to speak in pretty blunt terms. And I think the blunt version of that is it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy. Being hard is part of it, uh, not least because chaplaincy is hard to do. Um, I want to invite everyone, as you have questions that you would like to ask, just use a little raise hand function uh, in Zoom, and that way we're not all trying to uh, to talk over each other. Um, 
what we did get a question via email before the session and i want to ask sort of that question in in a broader version of it and it had to do with um uh, attending a, a, a educational institution that does not ordain people and then what is the relationship between receiving some sort of religious commissioning ordination whatever your tradition calls it and CPE. So what is the relationship between kind of that formal progress in a tradition and something like CPE? And I'll just open that to either of you. You can weigh in on that. CPE is a training program. So we're not certifying people. There are certifying bodies the Association of Professional Chaplains, Nishama, the Association of Jewish Chaplains, the National Association of Catholic Chaplains. Uh, there is a Muslim chaplaincy or organization, although I don't think that they ordain people. Um, so if you are not ordained, um, but you want to become certified, many CPE programs would be happy to have you do CPE. So for our program, you don't even have to have gone to seminary. You have to have some kind of serious spiritual interest and to establish that there's some reason why you wanna be in the rooms as a chaplain intern. Um, but if you then become serious about wanting to become board certified, then you would need to figure out whether you have um, equivalencies and that would be a process that you would enter into with the certifying body. And your CPE educator would support you in understanding that process and going through that process. You know, it's it's important to note, and I would encourage everyone, please do, you know, peruse the lab's website, go watch the other, the previous um uh, installments of the field guide series. There are quite a few of them on the website that get into a lot of these really sort of technical topics, because when you start exploring chaplaincy as a career or a calling, uh, you're going to start hearing a lot of really technical terms. Um, sort of, I mean, McCall's been talking about certification. For some people, the idea of the concept of ordination does not obtain in their tradition. Um, or endorsement. What is endorsement? And does your tradition provide that? There are all sorts of kind of moving parts that depending on where you want to do this work are more or less important. Um, if you if you want to be a healthcare chaplain, for instance, you're going to have to check a lot of boxes <laughs> along the way, most likely. Um, Nicole, I don't want to step on what you're... Actually, Michael, I wanted to add one more thing, which is there are two kinds of CPE. There's what we refer to as internships, standalone units of CPE. And then there's residency, which is generally a whole year of training where usually you would be paid by the hospital where you would do your residency. So the credentials that you need to do the internship can be a little bit different from what you would need in order to be accepted into a res residency, which can be competitive to get into. So I, I don't want to blur all the different CPE programs together. This is one of those fields where it pays to ask questions, <laughs> a lot of questions, because for those who are on the early end of things, it's really confusing. Uh, you know, there's if you haven't heard of CPE before, 
I would guarantee that you don't understand the distinction that Nicole just laid out between an internship and a residency. Uh, and so it can be sort of daunting to, to have to deal with this all along the way. Um, Danielle, you know, you are at Sankofa CPE and we haven't explored that quite yet. McCall is at a hospital. It's very clear what kind of CPE McCall is managing. You're in a hospital, which is a very diverse place, but you're in a hospital. Danielle, where are your CPE folks at? Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. Uh, my folks are at uh, social service organizations like food pantries, food kitchens. My folks are at uh, churches or faith communities, temples, mosques. Uh, my people are, are finding themselves really grappling with what are the ways in which we are called to provide spiritual care in a, a diverse uh, space uh, in, in, in some sense, right? Uh, I've been working as a CP supervisor for a particular healthcare system uh, in Chicago for about 15 years. And unfortunately, when George Floyd was killed as a result of police violence in 2020, I began to grapple with hmm, what are the ways in which there are some folks that are uh, really struggling uh, theologically, particularly around various isms like racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, transphobia, ableism, etc. The list unfortunately goes on and on. And I began to grapple with hmm, what does it look like uh, to support spiritual care educational models that take place around social justice and activism. And so uh, what we're starting to see in the field of chaplaincy or spiritual care in general is that we are pushing against the limits or boundaries of chaplaincy. And so we're now saying, hmm, Hospitals are not the end-all, be-all for where spiritual care takes place. Hospital chaplaincy is no longer the, the monolithic space and place where the field of chaplaincy occurs. We're now starting to grapple with, there are some new creative, amazing new uh, chaplain positions that are now occurring in various types of social service organizations. And Therefore, then CPE becomes a, a wonderful opportunity uh, and must now also push against the boundaries and the limits and say, how do we offer clinical pastoral education in some very unique, creative, innovative, social justice oriented spaces and places? And so, Psychopa CPE, uh, that's my own uh, center. Uh, seeks to provide a resource for folks who are really grappling with, wow, what does it mean to provide spiritual care in communities, particularly in the midst of systemic sociological ills that exist in our, uh, at our time, no, in, our, in our time today. And so uh, we have people who are serving as chaplains at uh, domestic violence shelters. We have folks who are serving as chaplains in uh, LGBTQIA advocacy organizations. We have folks that are serving as chaplains in homeless shelters. 
We have people who have been very, very creative serving as chaplains for Tyson Chicken uh, Factory in Indiana, right? And so this question for us around CTE also invites us to, to really tap into asking ourselves, what are what what is my ministry passion? And where is that passion being called to shift or move to by the divine uh, today? And so if you can answer that question around where is my ministry passion? Who am I called to serve? Where are these particular people that I'm feeling called to serve? It's certainly there's a there, there's ways in which a CPE can even meet you in that space. If that makes uh, if that makes sense. There's also an important practical aspect of this as well, because we get inquiries all the time from people saying, I want to do CPE, but there's nowhere near me. I'm in X place and you know the nearest CPE center is three hours away. That's not really workable. Um, so for for people in that situation, uh, places like Sankofa are perfect because you can you can find something that will work wherever you are and not have to relocate your life um, to to do a CPE internship or residency, unless you want to, in which case, by all means, move to New York, work with McCall, be very happy. But if you don't, call Danielle. Uh, I see a hand up. I see your hand up, Anne, so uh, I will let you have at it. Great, thanks, because it, it's off the back of Danielle. Danielle, thanks for sharing. I'm actually in Ireland. I'm American, but I've helped the YMCA here in Ireland start a chaplaincy program, so very much in a community youth-based sort of situation. Um, but I guess my question is, in my mind, and maybe this is my Ireland context, is that CP is more for healthcare and hospitals. So is that just different in the States? And it goes to my mind, the sort of clinical side, but I guess, can you share a bit more about what the difference is there and why we shouldn't just automatically assume that it's hospital and clinical and patients and people dying and being born sort of situation? Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Uh, I think that we are currently living in this shift right now. I would say that we've been seeing this shift in the last five years. Um, I think that let, let, let's have an authentic, genuine conversation for a moment. Let's talk about the ways in which everyone may not feel a call to healthcare chaplaincy. And we, ha we have to name the elephant in the room. Everyone does not feel a call to working in healthcare chaplaincy. We also need to talk about, let's talk the hard conversation about economics and finances. There are persons who are landing some amazing chaplain uh, jobs uh, outside of the healthcare, the healthcare system. We need to also name, name that dynamic. If you are uh, someone who is currently unemployed or underemployed and, and you've been waiting, for a particular position at your local hospital to, to become available, uh, there are ways in which if we can just uh, shift our mindset and think more imaginatively and creatively around our calls, what are ways in which there are amazing chaplain opportunities in other types of other types of settings? I think that while we're having this conversation about CTE in vast settings, it's because it's a parallel conversation currently happening right now around chaplaincy in the field of spiritual care in general. 
in which we have to begin to grapple with what are the ways in which there are various types of chaplains and various types of chaplain positions that exist uh, today. And so I, I think I think this notion that healthcare chaplaincy is the end all be all, I think that's turning into a myth uh, as we as we as we really grapple with innovative and creative ways in which many folks still call to, to serve, if that makes sense. And is there just a follow-on question from that? Is there some other like acronym that I'm missing that is out there that isn't clinical? <laughs> And you know what I mean? Like, cause I'm kind of new to all of this. So whenever I see CPE stuff, I just assume it's hospital chaplaincy stuff. Um, but is there a parallel that does exist that is being created like that, that isn't necessarily in a denominational sort of ordination track? I'm going to always lift up anything accredited by ACPE. And I, I, I recommend programming that by ACPE. ACPE is the most recognized and most respected capitalist training organization. But I think it's it's uh, it's also important to note that even though that that word clinical has persisted, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to take place in healthcare. It, it certainly does numerically. That's where most of the centers are. Um, but you know, you, you were still doing the clinical education outside of a clinical setting, even, you know, it's, it's a part of the baggage of history that we're carrying along with us still. Um, and as McCall mentioned about, you know, the, sort of the educational requirements, you know, for, I, I know that every site can set their own requirements and, and they have their own process, but, you know, if you want to go to McCall Center, you don't have to be ordained, uh, whether your tradition ordains or not. Am I, am I right, McCall? Right. So we don't require ordination. We have a lot of multi-faith chaplains, chaplains from spiritual traditions that don't have ordination. Um, for our residency, we do all but require that you have a uh, master's in divinity or the equivalent of some religious spiritual MA, uh, because that's what you will need to get certified. And we are supporting our residents in moving towards board certification if that's what they want. So you're at a real disadvantage if you don't have that education in addition to the CPE units that are required. But there are a lot of creative ways of being endorsed. So that's a word that Michael used before. Endorsement is a, um, someone in the Christian world may be more familiar with endorsement. As a Jew, it was totally alien to me. Um, the idea of endorsement is that there's a spiritual community of one kind or another that supports you in the care that you offer from a spiritual perspective. So at this point, the APC has a, a whole alternative endorsement or equivalency process, and it's very broad. So if you don't have a spiritual community that you're part of, or it's not a traditional community, there's still room for you inside of CPE and inside the world of professional chaplaincy. Or uh, that also extends to if if you if, if your personal identity is in a tradition, but either you're not going to seek ordination or you cannot seek ordination or whatever, if, if there is something precluding you from that, there are ways to, to sort of, I don't want to say get around that, but there are ways to 
proceed with a chaplaincy career, even if you are not going to secure whatever the formal kind of designation is uh, within within uh, your tradition. That's uh, true. Nicole, Do you want me to answer that question that's in the chat about um, ACPE, whether it's the only accrediting agency? Uh, I answered it privately, but by all means, go for it. Uh, it. It feels important to me to recognize that there are other um, organizations that offer CPE, but ACPE is the only Department of Education recognized um, organization. So if you do CPE that's not accredited by ACPE, you can run into issues when it comes to getting certified. They will allow a little bit of a um, substitution, uh, a uh, establishing, what's the word I'm looking for, um, equivalency. But uh, we know that with ACPE, you're getting a quality education. And McCall, you have sort of touched on this in a couple of different answers, but someone asked for a, an explicit comparison. I think that'd be really helpful. Uh, and uh, beside the length of time, what is the difference between a, a, a CPE internship and a CPE residency, if we just can put it all out right next to each other? So this is a really interesting moment in ACPE because we're in the process of redoing our standards for education. And um, you'll need to come back in a year and we'll, we'll have a slightly different conversation about this. The program as it's going to be rolled out starting in the fall will be a four unit program um, where I don't understand why, but for historical reasons, it's called phase uh, sorry, level 1A, level 1B, level 2A, level 2B. Very and, inspiring. Um, level 1A is being set up as a kind of prerequisite because if you want to do a residency, you need to have one unit of CPE already under your belt to demonstrate that you know how to use the CPE method of learning. Um, and then the subsequent units the remaining three units, uh, will also have a sequencing. Last I heard, and I may not have the most up-to-date information, um, the people in, in on the ACPE committee for working on this had not yet worked out how somebody who doesn't want to do a residency or is not able to do a residency um, might move through the whole curriculum. So for now, it's kind of being designed for your prerequisite unit and then moving through the, the next three units in the course of a residency, building the curriculum as you go um, until you're ready for board certification. As I said, and this is something that Danielle also alluded to, there are finances that are involved. So residencies tend to pay um, some living wage, but it's modest and internships don't pay and there's usually a charge for tuition. So um, if you don't have a lot of financial resources, one way of going through your training is to have standalone CPE internship units, which you can do either full-time, which would be onerous or part-time, which is what people who have to work full-time tend to do so that you can do your four units while you're working full-time. It's it's rigorous, but it can be done. 
Um, and then you don't have to devote a year for a lower salary if you can't afford to do that. But the whole uh, educational model is going through this shift where the curriculum is going to be much more centralized than it has been in the past. So that that will impact the way that internships and residencies are run in order to meet the new standards. I hope that's got given you enough information, even though there's so, so much that's still unfolding at the moment. Like trying to get on a boat while it's moving. <laughs> um, there's a, a really good question, and this has to do with sort of the practicality and the sequencing. McCall, you mentioned that um, if for, for people who are moving towards uh, board certification in residency, that you're helping them move towards that. Uh, and so the question that came in is, if you want to be board certified, is it better to get your MDiv first or do that along the way? So the sequencing question is important. So I'll, I'll turn it over to Danielle in a second, but from my experience, it really depends on what kind of a learner you are. So a lot of people who are second career and have had a sustained interest in spirituality might choose to do a unit first because then they see what this learning is like and they can decide whether they want to immerse themselves further. Would they then go on and get some kind of master's degree? Perhaps, or perhaps they'll decide that they're not going to get board, board certified and they just want to complete more CPE. It isn't uniform across the country that you need to be board certified for some kind of chaplain position. It really varies from place to place. Um, so there are openings for people who've done some units of CPE and don't have the masters. And you have to know yourself as a learner, what kind of learning speaks to you. So if the CPE part really speaks to you, but you don't like the idea of going for graduate school, then maybe you do more CPE and then see how that unfolds. But for people who really love being in a graduate program, then you could do a graduate program and do CPE while you're in graduate school and then choose whether or not you want to do a residency. Um, the, it's helpful to have some seminary education before you do a residency because people tend to feel more grounded if they know that they've done this learning. But as I said, there is room for different kinds of learners. So I wouldn't say there's one path. I agree. Perez has a great question. Is CPE required for all chaplaincy jobs? Uh, the short answer is no. The medium answer is it depends. And the longer answer is it sort of depends on on the the kind of the, the legacy of of CPE within that sort of setting. So CPE grew up in healthcare. That's where it really came up. And so I don't know that I've ever seen a chaplaincy job that didn't require CPE today. Um, uh, sorry, in, in healthcare. Uh, presumably they exist somewhere, but I, I haven't seen them. But you know, there are plenty of chaplains working in other places that um, either don't have CPE at all, or they do, and it never factored into the application and hiring process. So plenty of uh, chaplains working on college campuses. Um, CPE has not been a factor so far. Um, my introduction to the chaplaincy world, chaplains working in seaports, a lot of them don't have any CPE experience. So it really depends on where you want to do the work. 
Um, if you want to be a healthcare chaplain, go do CPE. <laughs> it's just going to make your life easier. Um, but if, you know, it, it just depends. It just depends. So this is where it really pays to ask lots of questions, meet lots of people and have lots of conversations. Uh, DK, I see your hand up. So if you want to unmute and or turn your camera on, you can ask your question. Yes, thank you. Uh, my question is for clarification. Uh, that is that I understand that SCPE is now in the midst of uh, making its uh, standards more rigorous. And is, is that, would that be a good way to put it? Is that how I should understand? And so in, in a year or two, the way the programs will handle this education, CPE, would be different from what we see now. Danielle, do you want to respond to that or you want me to? I'll, I'll respond. I, I, I would not use the language of CPE being more rigorous. I would use that language. Uh, what we are in the process of doing is um, in order for us to keep our standing with the U.S. Department of Education, there are some requirements uh, that we have to, to fulfill. And so, and so in some sense, we are, the, the language that I would use is we are reorganizing. We are reorganizing some of our outcomes and objectives to meet the needs of the U.S. Department of Education to continue to hold uh, this, uh, this, this accreditation, uh, if you will. But uh, I don't believe there would be any different impact on the, on the CPE. Also, a follow-up question. Also, because the you know, health chaplaincy is very, is clinical. Whereas a social justice yeah. chaplaincy uh, can be much different. And would that, would this be addressed in the new standard? Because, you know, if you go ask a social justice organization, okay, you need to supervise this, this uh, candidate. And they would have no idea, you know, because this is so new. You know, whereas in the hospital setting, it's uh, it's not new. So would this kind of you know, difference or the diversity in the evolve evolution of chaplaincy be addressed in this sort of preparing to get uh, standardized or preparing to um, remain uh, um, certified or, or recognized by the Ministry of Education? We do not draw a distinction between any type of program. We do not draw a distinction between any type of program. So all ACPE accredited programs have the same outcomes and objectives. We do not draw any distinction between, between the two. Thank you. And I, I sort of want to caution anybody, if you go online looking up 
you know, what's happening in ACPE and what's happening with the DOE and, and, and you're going to come across the sort of the really nitty gritty developments and, and um, sort of the, the, the technical evolution of ACPE as an organization, its relationship to centers, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I think it's really important to not get bogged down in that or distracted or think, oh, this is way too much information and I, I can't make any sense of that. So I'm not going to do CPE. Stay focused on what you want to do. Find a CPE educator and talk to them. Um, you know, they're dealing with sort of the internal workings of ACPE and all the changes that are taking place there. That's not something that you need to worry about as a person going through CPE. Um, there's, it's just, it's such a dynamic situation right now. And I wouldn't want anyone to feel like, well, it's, do I have to understand all of that to do CPE? No, you don't. <laughs> there are plenty of people involved in it who don't understand it. So just, just try to try to uh, stay uh, on the educational track. Addison, I see your hand up as well. So go ahead. Michael, can I jump in for a second? Yeah. yeah. I, I noticed there was something in the chat about doing distance CP, CPE learning. And obviously we've all gotten used to more distance learning. Um, but to do chaplaincy work, we need to be face-to-face -face with people. So as you're thinking about what's possible for you and what kind of CPE program is accessible to you, you wanna balance how well you learn in front of the computer with how well you learn when you are face-to-face -face with the energy of people in the room. It's very different. And it's only now that, that both modes are being promoted because of all the changes that have happened through, due to COVID-19. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's also important to highlight a dynamic around uh, online CPE uh, provides persons a different way to learn how to connect. With the rise of technology and our social media movement, for example, we're seeing that hey, folks don't have a problem learning how to connect and provide empathy through digital space. Uh, cruising through Instagram or, or Facebook uh, shows that. And so I, I think I think we are also expanding our minds around the ways in which connection happens. And I think we're also grappling with this understanding that connection doesn't does not only happen in face-to-face -face encounters, but beautiful, amazing, wonderful connection can happen via Zoom. Uh, as well. All right, Addison, we'll turn to you. Thanks. Um, hi, I'm Addison. I'm in my second year at uh, Boston University School of Theology getting my MDiv, and I'm interested in chaplaincy. I've messaged you, Reverend Danielle, of like potentially looking at options. Um, and I'm wondering if there's parameters on how many internships, not residencies, you can do at one specific site. Like there's a site here in, I'm located in Boston that doesn't offer residencies, but is a really wonderful interfaith site. And I'm like, I could see myself doing a summer unit, an extended unit, another summer unit, another one. And some people have been like, well, some places may only require, like only let you do two, or it's better to have different locations that you do it at just to meet different supervisors, different programs, cohorts, et cetera. But specifically like 
I'm not sure a residency I could do and an internship doing 25 hours a week would allow me to like work part-time, different things like that. So I'm wondering if there's any parameters on you're only allowed to like be at the same place for one to two units or if that's discouraged, et cetera. There are no specific parameters around that. I think the deeper conversation or question you'd have to ask yourself is where do you want to serve? in ministry long-term. And if you feel or experience the divine as calling you to serve in one particular entity, then you could feel free to have all of your CPE units from that one particular entity. If you experience the divine as calling you to have a more diverse, well-rounded number of experiences in diverse settings, then you may want to think about picking multiple types of settings to do various individual individual units. But I think that's more so an internal reflective question between you and, 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 and your own calling long term. Can I add something to that? So if I were you, I'd want to know how many people there are who do subsequent units of CPE in that in that center, because some centers will develop a differentiated curriculum to support students who are in the more advanced units. And some centers traditionally have just focused on that first unit and people have felt like there's a certain overlap in the curriculum. Now with the new standards that we're moving towards, they're gonna to have to figure out how to, to do that in those standalone units. That's the part that I have not yet heard how it's been worked out. So that's the question I would wanna be asking if you choose to go that route, or if you feel a need to go that route, which I completely understand. Thank you, that is so helpful. One other maybe smaller question, um, speaking to Reverend Danielle's, I'm most interested in the relationship between chaplaincy and eating disorders and, that which is commonly through social organizations and Sankofa, things like that. But I haven't seen a whole lot of need. Like I've reached out to different organizations and been like, I'm potentially going to be applying for different online units, things like that. Like, is there a need? And they're like, honestly, no, we don't really think there's a need in our organization. We don't really see that. Do you all have a, I don't maybe like a list or like different emerging areas of chaplaincy. Because when I'm talking to my professors at BU School of Theology, there's like, they're creating a first cohort of like psychedelic chaplains and this chaplain and that chaplain, like all of these more unconventional things. And I'm like, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. But then you go to like organizations and they're like, no, that's not really a thing that we do. So was there within chaplaincy innovation lab or ACPE like, some more emerging birthing, like these are really cool, unconventional things that we are expanding chaplaincy to be and mean. Yes, this is a lot larger conversation. So I want, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Addison. I want to invite you to email me and there's some specifics I can give, but just to answer your question at the basic surface level. This is a, a call to creativity. And so I am not going to walk up to an organization and say, do you have a need for this? 
I'm going to walk up to the organization with my PowerPoint already crafted and say, hey, this is what I would offer you. Let me please come in and offer this to you. Do you hear the difference? Do you hear the difference in that? Uh, and so folks who move in uh, social justice chaplaincy, folks who are working in social justice PPE, are folks who have already crafted the answer and are now offering the answer to the institution. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense, right? And so if uh, working with uh, folks who have uh, eating disorders and providing spiritual care uh, to, to persons who have eating disorders, if that's your passion, then the fine CEO or executive director of the organization, I'm waiting for you to tell me, hey, Danielle, <laughs> This is how spiritual care can come along. This is how spiritual care can be provided uh, for your clients in this way. And then I'll be able to say, oh, okay, that's cool. Come on. Come on over. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that is so helpful. Thank you so much for answering my questions. And I'm I'm very glad that you mentioned that specifically because it gives me an opportunity to plug an event coming up. We are going to have a webinar on spiritual care and uh, eating disorders on March 8th, I think. Uh, and I would invite everyone to come, even if you're not uh, practicing as a chaplain right now. But we're going to get into some of that, some of this area of, of growing places of providing spiritual care. But we're also going to talk about what happens when a chaplain is bringing their own significant trauma into an encounter with someone who is experiencing something as well. And so you're, you're going to see firsthand how chaplains deal with their own stuff while they are still providing care for others. So please do um, please do join us for that. The lab is, is strongly supportive of these emerging areas of chaplaincy. Um, we get inquiries all the time. I want to do this. I want to do that. Uh, what should What should I do? And it's sort of a, the bad news is that, you know, for a lot of these, there is no professional organization, right? There's no place that you can go right now. There is no there, there. Uh, but the good news is that means you have unlimited creativity to do whatever you want. Um, you know, if, if there is not a type of chaplain that you can identify that's doing the work that you want to do, well, then guess what? You're the person now and you can start it up. Um, we have a, a, a relationship with the founder of the uh, the guy that does, um, I'm forgetting the name now, um, Pet Chaplain. He does CPE in veterinary context. That didn't exist for a very long time, and now it does because he said it did, and he built a community. So I know it's daunting to say, ah, just go out and build it yourself. Uh, but in many cases, it has to start somewhere, and so there's no reason that um, there's no reason that it can't be you. Any other questions? If not, we'll we'll go out and we'll do, we do breakout rooms at the end of our field guide sessions. So the recording gets turned off. We'll have McCall in one room, Danielle in another, uh, and you can go there. So it's not recorded. That's where you know people like to ask sort of the nitty gritty questions or maybe things that you don't want to ask on camera. Totally fine. Um, so unless there are any more public questions, I'll turn the recording off and we'll split out. I see one thing come in. Okay. All right, so let's stop this.